All right, Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6. We're going to start there and continue our series in the, in the book of Exodus. We've been in for seven weeks now. And so as you read along, we value every eye on a page. We value that. So grab your smartphone if you need to, a red Bible around you, your own Bible, however you need to do it to get your eyes on Exodus chapter 6. There are many times in life that I have wanted to quit. I just am tired and I want to quit. I, I remember back when I was in school, when I was working through seminary, and just exhausted and tired of school, I wanted to quit. Uh, I remember when I did the keto diet, I wanted to quit. I wanted carbohydrates. That's all I wanted in life, carbs. Uh, I, I, I went on a probably, it took me probably five years to read Moby Dick. I had this goal. I wanted to read Moby Dick. And somewhere in there, about three, 200 pages of whale anatomy. Like, it's crazy. And I said, like, why am I doing this? I want to quit. I've wanted to quit my job. I've wanted to quit parenting. I've wanted to quit pet ownership when my puppy has peed on the floor for like the 15th time. Um, and sometimes in life, I just want to quit. I want to check out. I want to move to a desert island somewhere and, uh, and live as a naked man on a desert island, okay? I just want to quit. Like, for, I don't know, maybe you can, maybe not the naked thing, but maybe the rest of it you can relate to, right? You can just relate. I just want to quit sometimes. Moses could relate to that. There are times in Exodus where it's very clear that he wants to quit. He wants out. He wanted to check out of this responsibility, but God wouldn't let him. He stuck with it. And I know there are times in your life where you want to quit. But generally, quitting is a bad idea. Stick-to-itiveness is a value that is, should be great in our lives. And so we generally hold true the thing that says when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And that is generally true. But there are some times in life where you should quit. There just are. There's times in life where you should quit, where you should stop doing. And I'm not merely talking about like quitting smoking or you know quitting eating. You know everything you see. Uh, today in our text, Moses is going to learn that he should quit, and he should quit trusting himself. There is a problem with the phrase "when the going gets tough, the tough get going," and that the problem with that is that it, it indicates a reliance on self. When the going gets tough, I'm just going to tap into my resources and who I am, and the tough get going. When it comes to life as a Christian, reliance on self is a problem. We need to rely on God. And so if there's one thing I want you to remember from our text today, it's this. Quit trusting yourself. Trust God. Quit trusting yourself trust God. Write it on your bulletin, write it in your Bible, write it in your hand. Quit trusting yourself. Trust God. We've been in Exodus now these seven weeks, and it's a series about getting to know God. God is really introducing himself to the Israelites, specifically to Moses. So in chapter one and two, we find the plight of the Israelites in slavery, and God raises up Moses and challenges him in chapter 3 and 4, Moses has been in the wilderness for 40 years, and God meets him at the burning bush, and he says, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Chapter 5, Moses delivered uh, the message to Pharaoh, and it went badly. I mean, things, when he obeyed God, things didn't get better. They got worse. 
Last week, if, if you were here, you remember me saying this. Don't be surprised if it gets worse before it gets better. That was last week. Well, today we, we follow up with that and we answer the, ask the question, well, what happens when it does get worse? If we shouldn't be surprised when things get worse before we get better, how do we handle it when things do get worse? And my answer for you today is that it was when it gets worse, quit. Quit. Quit trusting yourself. Trust God. I, I have a few things that you should think about quitting today. The first one is this. Quit trusting in your power. Trust God. Trust God's power. Quit trusting in your power. We see this right away in chapter 6, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. A little background. Um, Moses had delivered in, in chapter 5, he had delivered God's message. And if you remember, he said, hey, Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh responded by retaliating against the Israelites. He made life hard. He took away their, the resources of straw that they were using to build bricks. He sent them out, made them find their own straw, and didn't reduce the quota of bricks. And the Hebrews, in turn, lashed out at Moses. They were like, Moses, what did you do to us? Curse you. And then the blame game starts. So it's really interesting. Everyone's blaming someone else. Pharaoh blames the Hebrews. Hey, your fault. You guys got lazy. The Hebrews blame Moses. Moses, what did you do? And Moses blames God. Look at the last two verses of chapter 5. Just look backwards here. Uh, after the Israelites just chew Moses out, verse 22, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, Why? Have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Pharaoh, this is, uh, Moses said, God, this is your fault. This is your fault, God. And God's response to that is not to lash out at Moses. God says it's time. I will show the world who I am. And in, in verse 1, God has two people in mind that he's addressing when he talks about his mighty hand. He's first of all addressing Moses. He says, Moses, you're blaming me. God says to Moses, you're blaming me for being inept, powerless, or at the very least not caring, right? And so to Moses, he says, you will see my mighty hand. God's also addressing Pharaoh in this because Pharaoh has challenged God. Pharaoh has said, listen, I'm just as big of a God as you are, God. Pharaoh set himself up to be a rival to God. God says to Pharaoh, you're challenging me as impotent and I will show you my power. I am so powerful that I'll cause you to drive my people out of the land, not just to merely let them go. You see, Moses didn't trust God's power. Moses didn't trust God's power. And Pharaoh, in turn, trusted his own power. Have you ever done that? I mean, God wants to show his power. Sometimes 
The only way for you and I to see God's power is when we find ourselves in a position to question Him. We, we, it's sort of this axiom of life that we need to be sometimes in a position where we say, God, I, don't, I, I question whether you're powerful or you're good. I'm questioning these things. And when we are in the position to question, that is when we need to trust God most. There's this faith element. Moses didn't trust God's power. Have you ever done that? Have you ever said, God, you either don't care about me or you're not powerful to do something about it. Look at the plight I'm in, God. Or how about Pharaoh trusting his own power? Have you ever done that? God, no thanks. I got this. I don't need you. (laughs) I got it covered. Have you ever done that? When we're in a position where we're failing to trust in God's power and instead trusting our own power, we need to stop. Uh, To quote the, you know, the great psychiatrist, Bob Newhart, stop it. (laughs) Stop it. Stop trusting your own power. Trust in God's. Be a quitter. Quit trusting in your own power. There's a second way you should quit today. Quit trusting in your own power. Secondly, quit trusting in your record. Quit trusting in your record. Uh, I'm going to read verse two to eight here, and I want pay, if you're a if you're a grammarian, pay attention to the verbs here as I'm reading. God said also said to Moses, "I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty." But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with a mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession." I am the Lord. If you note the verbs here, look at what God is doing. It's so fascinating. God is saying, this is what I did. This is who I am. And this is what I will do. Look at what he says. In the past, this is what I did. I appeared to Moses. Excuse me. I appeared to Moses' ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. God appeared to Abraham way back in Genesis 12, where Exodus is completely tied into Genesis. It's tied in. Moses says, remember what I was talking about back in Genesis 12 when God appeared to our forefather Abraham and said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to bless you. All the nations of the world will be blessed through you, Abraham. That promise, covenant, has lasting implications for Moses. He says, I established my covenant. God made this covenant an agreement, and God doesn't go back on his word. 
Uh, what more? God in the past heard the cries of his people. When the Israelites were suffering, God was not deaf. He didn't turn away. He didn't plug his ears and say, I'm not listening. He heard, he cared, and he remembered his covenant, it says. When the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, when God says, I remembered something, I've said this before, uh, but it's important for us to think about. God, it's not like, oh, I forgot. Huh, I made a covenant. I forgot that. Sure glad I just remembered that. That is not remembered for God. Remembered is, I recalled and acted upon it. It's always about God acting. He remembered. He remembered. It's not merely a mental recall. It's a call to action. This is what God did in the past. He says, listen, I made a covenant. I appeared. Look what he's doing in the present. He says, in the past, I didn't give them my personal name. They knew me as God Almighty, El Shaddai, God Almighty. Uh, But now I've given you my personal name. In the past, El Shaddai, God Almighty, the one with the power to complete the promise. But in the present, God gives his personal name, Yahweh, which is a present tense or future tense verb that points to God's present action right now. Now is the time. I gave you my name, a verb. Now is the time. Now look at verse 6. Here's what he promises to do in the future. I will bring, I will free, I will redeem, I will take, I will bring, I will give. Those are the verbs of the promise. He's promising to say, I will lead you out of of slavery and lead you into the promised land. I will make you free. I will redeem. I will take or accept you as my own. I will give you. I will hand down to you an inheritance as children who are my heirs. God did something. He has done something in the past. He's doing something in the present. And he makes promises about the future. And God is saying, in essence, listen, I've got a track record. You can trust my track record. I did it in the past. I'll do it in the future. This is something that I have said dozens of times from this platform right here, is that this simple thing. One of the ways we know that we can trust God is because he has a track record of being faithful to us, even if we can't see it right away. What's the difficult thing you're facing right now in your life? What is it? I mean, some of you I know, some of you I, I don't know. What's the difficult thing you're facing? Whatever it is, remember God has been faithful in your past and he will be faithful in the future. We don't trust God though. We tend to trust ourselves. We think, well, I'm just going to, ha- I've handled the hard things in life before. I'm alive at this point in my life. I'll just have to bear down and try it again. And, and, and just stop it. Stop trusting yourself. The reason that you are where you are in life is because of God's faithfulness. Quit trusting your own track record. Trust God's. The third thing you should quit, quit trusting your power, your record. The third thing is your ability Quit trusting your ability. Trust God's ability. All right, look at verse 9. Moses reported this to the Israelites. Okay, God told me this stuff. But they didn't listen to him because their discouragement and cruel bondage 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, Well, if the Israelites won't listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me, since I speak with faltering lips? Moses has used this excuse twice before. I can't talk, God. My mouth doesn't work right. Every time I talk, the wrong thing comes out. He's used this excuse before, and he just can't get over it. Moses is trusting his inability, not his ability. But regardless, he's failed to trust God's ability. You see, some of us think that we can handle anything that comes our way. We're like, eh, I got this, you know, done it before. Uh, I I got it. it. For me, if I'm called upon to public speak in any setting, I'm like, yeah, got that one. I've done that a lot. I can talk to anybody about anything. Go for it. Put me up there. I got this. Uh, You have things in your life that you're really good at. I got this. I got the ability. Why do I need God? I got the skill set to do anything I set my mind to. Why do I need God? I have enough money to handle anything. Why do I need God? I've got the right contacts in my life to handle anything. See, Moses' problem isn't overconfidence. It's underconfidence. He's not trusting in his own ability or God's ability. And Moses and the Israelites say, hey, we got this one done. Like, okay, we don't trust in our ability at all. Both the Israelites are like, they're discouraged. They're in bondage. They're in a bad place emotionally. They've tried and they've made it worse. They're probably depressed. They're hopeless. Moses is back to his old excuses. Oh, I can't. He can't talk. He still hasn't learned. A better way to put it is quit using your lack of ability as an excuse. Because you have God. While it's true that Moses and the Israelites say we don't trust our ability at all, they failed to take the next step. They failed to trust God. He's got the track record. Again, stop it. Just stop trusting your ability or your inability. Trust God. And that's the last thing. Quit quit trusting all of these things. Quit trusting your power and your record and your ability. Instead, trust God. Instead, trust God. And, And he will remind you of what he's done. That's the point of verses one to eight. He will remind you of what he has done. He made covenants. He made promises. He appeared to Moses in the burning bush. Moses has all this tangible evidence of God's faithfulness. He just needs to trust him. I would ask you today, I'm just going to ask you to take a moment. I'm just going to stop talking for just a second, okay? It's hard for me, but I'm going to do it. Uh, the, How has God been faithful to you in your past? Where has God showed up? Maybe you didn't recognize at the time it took you years to figure out his faithfulness. I'm just going to be quiet for about 15 seconds. And you think about that. How has God been faithful to you? You see, if we pause and let God do this, 
we'll be reminded of how he has been faithful to us. That's what he's telling Moses, verses 1 to 8. I've been faithful, and I'm going to promise you, you can trust me. The second thing I would encourage you with in trusting God, instead trust God, not only will he remind you of what he's done, but he'll remind you of who you are. Okay, I'm not going to read all of it, but look at verse 13 all the way down to uh, really to the end, about to verse 26, 27, 28, somewhere in there. Um, there's this family record of Moses and Aaron here. It's really interesting. It's a, it's a genealogy, and it's a, it's a very incomplete genealogy. Uh, you know, we, sometimes when we're reading the Bible, when we come up with names like this, we're like, oh, brother, like, I don't even know what I'm reading. These names mean nothing to me. I don't get it. They meant something to Moses and Aaron. And they meant something to the Israelites. And so we begin with the oldest of the 12 sons, Reuben, and, and then we go to Simeon the next. And, and then we get to Levi, and this is Moses and Aaron's forefather. And he traces the history through their, their forefather, their tribe, into, into the family, into the clans. And we get down to, to Moses and Aaron, and we get down to this place, and Moses needs to remember that he's part of a greater story here. You see, it's really important for an ancient Hebrew because to know who they were tied them into their purpose for today. We, we say, listen, my, it doesn't matter. I, I'll be, I am who I am. I'll be my own person. I'll do what I want to do. And that's very much our culture that's set in front of us. Be who you want to be. Uh, and so my dad was a CPA. I didn't have to be a CPA. I could be anything I wanted, right? Um, and for ancient Hebrew, that wasn't the case. Your, your dad is a fisherman. You might be a fisherman. Your dad was a tradesman. You might be a tradesman. Uh, you just learned. And it was an important part of their identity. They weren't mad about it. They were like, I don't want to be a fisherman. No, they're just like, this is who I am. And it was just part and parcel for them. Moses needs a reminder of who he is here. He is a, a, a ch- child of, uh, of Levi. He has a history here. And it's really important. Most important, he needs to remember that he's part of a greater story. He can trust God because he's part of something bigger than himself. When you think things are going really bad in your life, remember that you're part of something bigger than you. I mean, we just took communion today, and this is one of the things we talked about, that Jesus didn't just die for you, although that's true. He died, he died for all of us. We're all a family here together. We have 2,000 years of history of the church that we're linked to. You're not the only one. You're tied to other story. You can trust God in this. So your suffering, your misery, your angst, your problems, they're part of something bigger, and that brings them, that gives meaning to them. We're so hooked on individualism that we can't get our heads out of it. Everything is about us. Everything is about the individual. And, and for Moses, for the Israelites, that's not something they thought about. Moses needs to be reminded you're part of something bigger. Now look at verse 26. When he gets done with the genealogy, he says, and this is really interesting, it was the same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. They were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. 
It was the same Moses and Aaron. It was the same Aaron and Moses. It was the same Moses and Aaron. This is really interesting, and and scholars in in Exodus geek out of this because this is one of the few times Moses and Aaron are referred to in the reverse order, Aaron and Moses. It's one of the few times this happens. Their names are backwards here. Why? Well, I, I think Exodus is trying to highlight Aaron's involvement here to tell Moses, hey, it's not all about you. In fact, you need to trust me. Aaron is very important because Aaron becomes the first high priest and his descendants become the high priests of Israel. The priesthood is traced through Aaron. And it bring, it's the greatest thing Moses, you could argue the greatest thing that Moses did in the book of Exodus is to appoint his brother high priest for the worship of God. It brings worship to God. It's not even about Moses, and it's not even Moses. It's his brother. What if the most important thing that you do in your life isn't about you? That's humbling. What if the most important God-glorifying thing in your life is you're supporting somebody else? This speaks to the bigger picture of God's glory. He is the one. We can trust him. We don't have to trust ourselves. So God's going to remind us of what he's done. We can trust him. He's going to remind us of who we are. We're children of God through Jesus. Lastly, he's going to remind us of what he will do. And we see this in verse 28, all the way into chapter 7. Read this with me. Verse 28, now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. That's his name again, his personal name. I'm Yahweh. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I'll tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, here's the same thing again. Same thing as back in chapter 6, verse 12. And same thing in chapter 4, verse 10. And chapter 6, verse 30 here. Moses said, I speak with faltering lips. Why would Pharaoh listen to me? He just can't get over it. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. And your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell it to Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt with mighty acts of judgment. I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord." when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. God says to Moses, I have made you a god. Now, this is not an elevation of Moses to deity status. That's not what he's saying here. But he is reminding him of God's power through Moses, it will be like you are a God to Pharaoh. And this is because Pharaoh has set himself up as God. And then he says, I'll harden Pharaoh's heart. This is to exemplify God's power once again. God's got the power over Pharaoh. And then he says, I will lay my hand on Egypt, my mighty hand. And we circle back to what he started to in chapter six. And the whole point of this is God is reminding Moses, this is what I will do. Trust me because of who I am, what I did, 
Who I am, what I'm doing. Who I am, what I will do. Friends, we got to quit trusting God. <laughs> quit trusting self and start trusting God. Now, we must ask the question, what does this mean for the Christian? Because up to this point, this message could have been delivered in a Jewish synagogue. You know, trust God more. Could have been delivered in a Mormon tabernacle. Could have been delivered in a universalist church. What does this mean for the Christian? Well, first of all, we have to trust in the gospel and in the essence of the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is where we talk about justification. So what Moses didn't see is that 1,400 years later, God's promised one came. And God's promised one is the ultimate expression or object of our faith, Jesus. So when Jesus spread out his arms on the cross and willingly let his creation kill him, he's saying, I am paying a penalty that they could not pay. I love them. That, that's the essence of the gospel. And so what we do as Christians is we trust God. It's, it's you know... It's we work hard to be good, not because we want to earn God's favor. We have it. Because all our righteous deeds are made righteous because of what Christ did, not because of ourselves. That's justification. And so just as the call to Moses to trust him, just as it's the call to the Israelites to trust his power, so it's the call to us to trust God's power in Jesus Christ. We have to have faith. We also have to trust and live by faith in the way we live each day. So many times as Christians, we're guilty of this. Well, I trusted Jesus. I placed my faith in him when I was eight years old, and I prayed with my great-grandma to receive Jesus on my bed, and she gave me a card, and, and I have it now. I'm in the club. And we go, All right, that faith was something I did a long time ago. But just as God is calling Moses to live by faith today, so you and I, just because we were saved by faith, doesn't mean we quit living by faith. Every day we live by faith. Faith is a necessity. It's how we live. We come to that back to chapter 6, verse 26. This is the same Aaron and Moses. I, I think it's saying, relate to me. <laughs> I, I mean, I, who cannot relate to Moses and Aaron and Aaron and Moses? You can go, oh yeah, I'm going to screw up like that. And I trust him, God to do something with me anyway. The Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. I think that's the, like, look at Moses and Aaron. Here's these two screw-ups, and God used them to do mighty things. Paul says, I, I'm kind of a screw-up, and I'm following Jesus. Follow me as I follow Christ. Just use my example. When you are struggling to trust Jesus, I think the call is to find a, a Moses or Aaron in your life, an Apostle Paul, someone who's a screw-up too, who is a little farther down the road and who's living in faith, trusting God. When things get worse, quit trusting in yourself. Trust in God. And next week, we're going to see some crazy stuff happen. We're going to handle nine of the ten plagues in one sermon next week, okay? So be ready. I promise it won't be an hour-long sermon. Uh, we're going to handle nine, uh, because the message of the nine plagues is the same. And so next week, we're going to dig through and, and start looking at the mighty hand of God moving. But you can trust in him, and you can live by faith.
He's going to do something powerful that makes his glory known. It's hard for us to trust God because we live by sight. We don't live by faith, naturally. We naturally trust what we can see with our eyes. A friend of mine was telling me a while back that he went down to Louisiana and in the brackish water uh, found a, a guide who took him and did something called noodling. I've never heard of noodling before. Maybe you know what this is. Apparently, because I would never do this, just so you know. Apparently, they sink like 50-gallon drums in the, in the brackish water down there, in the murky water, and a, a particular kind of fish swims in there and makes it its home. And so what, what you do is you go find one of these barrels, you, you take a big breath, you swim down, and in water where you can't see what's in that thing, you reach your hand in there, you let the fish beat up your hand for a while, and then finally when it wears out, you grab it, and you pull it out, and you go up and catch a breath, and then you got a fish. It requires me sticking my hand into a barrel that I could not see what was in there, and I'm telling you, no way. Uh-uh, you all are crazy that do that stuff. Uh, no way. If I can't see it, I want to do it. The problem is we can't live like that with Christ. We can't, we can't trust what we can see. We have to trust God who we cannot see. And this is the great challenge. And it's the challenge for Moses. Trust him. God is calling us to live by faith. And the greatest way that we can expand our faith in God is by thinking of what he's done in our lives, of how he has been faithful. We look to the past and say, I trusted God and he did this mightily in my life. He's done it before. And the message of Exodus 6 is he'll do it again. 